From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales, Gator Greats. I'm your host, Adam Schick. On our last episode, we recounted the successful but not always smooth journey the Gators had through the regular season, with the defending champs getting everyone's best shot both on the court and in the stands. They won the program's first outright SEC regular season crown in nearly 20 years, something they failed to do the year prior. And while that was impressive, they would be defined by whether or not they could do something else that hadn't been done in nearly two decades. This is MBK Goes B2B, Episode 6, All We Do Is Win. After the regular season finale against Kentucky, the Gators hit the road for Atlanta, the home of both the SEC tournament and the Final Four in 2007. The 0-4s in particular carried the confidence of never having lost a game at the conference tournament, and they wouldn't on this go-round either. Florida blew through Georgia, Ole Miss, and Arkansas by an average of 20 points. And as junior Al Horford remembers it, their title-clinching win over the Razorbacks in the Georgia Dome was particularly meaningful. We, you know, we steamrolled through it, uh, and then we, you know, we just took off from there. And what was funny about the SEC tournament was the football team just beat Arkansas in the SEC championship a few months before, and then we were playing them in the SEC championship. And uh, so we thought that that was, you know, that was a pretty funny coincidence. We're like, oh, we have to beat them now. You know, football beat them. <laughs> we have to make sure we, you know, that, that we do our part. Spates turns, shoots the shot at the horn. It's rimming and no good. And that is how the game ends. The Florida Gators have swept through the Southeastern Conference with a three-peat of the SEC Tournament Championship as the Gators win going away here today. Florida 77, Arkansas 56. Despite losing three of four down the stretch and not playing their best at the end of February, it was March, and as junior Torian Green notes, they already had the roadmap and were prepared to chart the same course. Going into the NCAA tournament, our confidence level was just at an all-time high, just because, like, you know, we've been there, we did it last year, and we just felt, we just had that experience and like, yo, like, we know what to expect, like, you know, we've seen every defense the team could throw at us. Like, we were just so comfortable, you know, playing against whoever. While the 0-4s certainly never lacked hubris, junior Corey Brewer is willing to admit that no one laid down in fear of the champs. Um, it was tough. Like um, like I said earlier, teams gave us their best shot. Teams played, they played hard, man. They played their butt off. You know, I guess you could say we we were able to just stick together and we knew teams were going to give us their best shot and we just had to go out there and play our game. And I think that's what we did. As a number one seed, you theoretically shouldn't face your steepest challenges until the second weekend of the tournament. But as Billy Donovan recalls, it was their second round opponent, New Orleans, that caused some heartburn. Yeah, I could tell the pressure was mounting. The one game that I knew was going to be really hard was Purdue. And they were just a tough, gritty team. And, you know, they picked up Torian full court. They were really, really aggressive, good defensively. And Matt Painter's a terrific coach. And I know Al Horford made some plays late in the game, and so did Joe Kim. And we were able to kind of hold on. But I could tell that the pressure was mounting. 
And when we got out of that first weekend and then we were going into Elite Eight and then playing for the Final Four, I really, really, really could tell that, you know, there was a lot on these guys' plate. Like there was a lot. They, they were putting a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, you know, Al always sat quiet in his locker. Torian was pretty quiet. Joe was always a pacer and a jump up and down guy. But I could, he was pacing around before games and I could just tell. And um, that's when we ended up bringing Ric Flair in. And I think those guys, I think those guys really enjoyed that. And that kind of got them going a little bit. But the thing that was amazing to me, Adam, I thought that they would feel more pressure if they got to the final four and they had two games to play for a national championship. I think that once they got to the final four, they got freed up where it was almost like, okay, now we're here now. Okay. Mm -hmm. We got two games left. We're here now. Uh, but I think leading up to it, I think every game that went by, I think that they felt more and more pressure, you know, and then I think once they got to the final four, it kind of really subsided and they went back into being who they were. Donovan's concerns were warranted as the Boilermakers gave the Gators their tightest game of the tournament, just a seven point win aided by near double doubles from Noah Horford and Brewer. After leaving the Big Easy, the Gators hit St. Louis for some arch madness with eight-point victories over Butler and Oregon that showcased the number of ways this team could win. In a 65-57 triumph over the Bulldogs, the O4s all scored in double figures to win a bruising, low-scoring contest decided largely in the paint. While against Oregon, senior Lee Humphrey broke the nets with a career-best seven threes in an 85-77 shootout. And when I say he broke the nets, I'm not exaggerating. Humphrey's three was from NBA plus range, and it was so pure, the net from a particular angle that we could see on the replay here in the dome was already a little bit frayed, and when it went through, it was such a pure shot that the cord, the net, broke, and we still are waiting. The ladder is out, but I'm wondering if there's a spare net somewhere. Well, there is one uh, over at the Scott Trade Center about a mile from here where they played the Missouri Valley Conference basketball tournament. We know that. Oregon plays it in. Horn sounds. The game is over. The Florida Gators have won the Midwest Regional Championship, and they've earned their second consecutive trip to the Final Four as the Gators defeat the Oregon Ducks here in St. Louis. The final score... The number one seeded Florida Gators, 85, and the third seed Oregon Ducks, 77. Having successfully navigated the road to the Final Four, Humphrey agrees they loosened up once they punched their ticket to Atlanta, but it also had a little something to do with knowing their next opponent. I think so, but I also think playing UCLA and knowing how we beat them the previous year helped. I mean, going into the game, I felt like, hey, we're going to do to them the exact same thing that we did to them last year. I mean, we know we're going to have to play the game over again. And, you know, last year is not really going to influence this year. But um, I don't know. I had some confidence because of that. Uh, we really were reading their defense well. Um, I think we understood what they wanted to do, and we were able to, to execute. Before tip-off at the Final Four, there are a number of festivities for the teams, including a large banquet bringing all four squads together. While these events generally present a chance for the players to interact more as college kids than pending adversaries, junior Joe Kim Noah remembers the Gators had a bone to pick with a particular Bruin. I remember so our second banquet, Final Four banquet, and we're playing against UCLA again. And... 
I remember this, this is a great story. I remember Walter, we're at the buffet and you know, you're, you're, you're basically eating with the, the guys. And I remember just Corey was just like making it. He, he, he had something real personal against Aaron Afalo. It was like, I don't know. Aaron Afalo was having a great tournament. He was playing well. It was like their time to kind of redeem themselves from, from the year before. And like, Corey was just, he was just talking about Aaron Afala like all day. And by the end of the thing, it was just like, we were just like, yo, we, like we, we, we had, we were, it, the game hadn't even started and we were just like all on, on him. It was all the focus was on him for our team anyway. And uh, I remember Walter Hodge was like sitting next to him, like he, he was getting the food right next to him. Like Aaron Afala was getting his food and Walter Hodge was next to him. And like, and then the next thing you know, it was like C. Rich was like getting like they just started like kind of like ganging up on him, and it was just like it was bad, man. It was it was really bad, and the, it, like I almost felt bad for the guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was just like, yo, yes. And it wasn't like all his teammates were. It was it was crazy. He was just like, yeah, all right, whatever. You know, just like kept him moving. But at that point, it was like also the confidence that it gave us just. I mean, it just showed you like how we were just, we were dogs, man. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. Like all those little stories like that, that, you know, it's like the game within the game, like just in trying to intimidate, trying to intimidate Aaron to follow. I don't know if he was, but we tried. That's for <laughs> sure. Tried to intimidate him before the game. It was like, we got back on the bus. Like, yo, we got this. So we had to banquet. All the teams were uh, like, that all the teams have a table and kind of like the food is in the middle. So you kind of got to walk by our table to get to the beginning of the food. <laughs> so see Rich is there. We're all sitting there. And uh, you see a, a follow, a couple of other guys come over there. So Chris is like, yeah, what'd you say? He's like, what'd you say, Corey? You about to bust his ass. Just talking to Corey didn't say anything. Caught Corey off uh, by surprise. He was like, what? He's like, what? You say you finna bust a follow ass? What? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like Chris started it off, but then they started jumping back, and whatever happened happened. And then Joe chimed in, and then we was all. Next thing you know, we were all talking a little noise. So that that built it up a little bit going into the game, and that got us hyped. But it was just funny because Chris just started out of nowhere and put Corey on the spot. <laughs> Basically, that's funny because the way the way that Joe said it, he said that Corey like had something against Aflalo for some reason. Like he just didn't like. Yes, him. he did because Aflalo because Aflalo was ranked ahead of him, had all the offers, and Aflalo was ranked ahead of him, I think, in our class. <laughs> and Corey took that. You know, that just shows though. That just goes to show like we all had a certain chip on our shoulder. Like you know, I was ready to go against Farmer. He was ready to go against you know Aflalo. Um, you know, Joe was ready to go against that guy, uh, Mata. You know, Horth was ready to go against Mbamute. So, you know, we all had our own little personal matchups that we wanted to dominate. But obviously the main goal was to win the game. The game is over, and the Florida Gators will play for a national championship for the second consecutive season as the Gators have won their 11th straight NCAA tournament game. Tonight, our final score here in Atlanta, the Gators 76 and UCLA 66. Whether it was the buffet intimidation or the monstrous 17 rebounds collected by Horford, for comparison, UCLA only had 26 as a team. 
Florida defeated the Bruins for the second straight year at the Final Four, setting up the Ohio State rematch many anticipated back in December. According to Green, establishing the right mindset was critical to keeping their edge in Atlanta. Uh, well, UCLA, we, we were kind of familiar with them. And, you know, I think us going into that game, we was like, yo, we don't want to lose to these MFers, you know, like, <laughs> we don't want to lose to these dudes. So I think that just put a tip, you know, another tip on our shoulder to just go out there and win. And then against Ohio State, we had the same mindset. Like, yo, we don't want to lose to these freshmen, like, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, they're good. Like, they're talented and all that. But, like, you know, we don't want to lose to these freshmen. Like, you know, let's go out there and handle business. Putting the bravado aside, no one expected a repeat of the 26-point mauling the Gators gave the Buckeyes back in December, as Thad Mata's young squad had clearly accelerated their collective maturation. Well, I, th- I feel like by the time they got to the tournament, they were a different team. They were a lot better. They were a lot better. And then, you know, they, they played. So I remember them playing some, some close games, too. So, you know, when you play close games like that in the tournament, I always feel like I always felt like it gave you that more of an edge. Like if you if you won by the by a thread and then. I wonder what the percentage of teams that won that next game like just blew out the team because the other team was just a little bit more loose, you know? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Given how wacky the tournament tends to be, this chalk championship between the top two teams in the country was particularly unique, as were the challenges the Gators knew the Buckeyes presented. While freshman phenom Greg Oden may have drawn the most attention from onlookers, internally, the Gators were building a game plan focused on Ohio State's equally young and talented backcourt. Uh, well, Mike Conley, he was really fast. Um, but at that time, he wasn't a, a really good shooter. So, you know, the coaches told me just, you know, we kind of played him how we played Rondo. We would play Rondo at the free throw line and just make him shoot. And obviously, Conley was a little bit better shooter than Rondo, so I would obviously play up a little bit. So Conley was very fast and very quick, and he still found a couple ways to get around, you know, get to the basket despite us playing that way on him. But he was a very good passer. You know, they had Jamar Butler, very good shooter, experienced guard, and, uh, you know, Daquan Cook, shooter. You know, their guard play was really good, and, and we just, you know, I was on edge. Obviously, you know, you hear about Conley, highly touted, you know, freshman, you know, going to the, you know, projected to be a first round pick in the NBA. So, you know, at my position, you know, I was on edge and, you know, ready to play and ready to compete. So I think their guard play was really good. They had a complete team, honestly. They were just, they were just young and we had that experience. And I tell, I, I played with David Lighty in France for a year and um, we would always talk about that matchup and he was like, man, y'all were just so good. And he's like, y'all, y'all we weren't ready for you guys. He's like, you guys had that experience and, and and just were so, like, y'all had an answer for everything. That's what he told me when we would discuss the that matchup. Yeah, I remember a few things. I remember from the scouting report, we did not want to give up any threes. They were a great shooting team, which I don't think they were that, that wasn't that talked about. I mean, obviously, Greg Oden was the centerpiece and, and people focused on him, but we knew how great of a three-point shooting team it was, they were. So we wanted to take away the three-point line. I mean, generally, that was kind of our strategy in a lot of games uh, because we were so good around the basket, we knew we could protect the rim. But then also, coach prepping us like, hey, fouls may not go our way. We're going to have to play through some adversity. Don't get caught up in it. Shake it off and keep playing. Like I kind of remember that being our mindset going into the game. 
And I, I remember us coming in with the strategy, like, hey, we're going to let Odin go one-on-one against our bigs. You know, we're deep and we're talented on the front line. Um, if he gets his, he gets his. But we're not going to give up the three-point line. Well, they had, I forget the kid's name. They obviously had Odin and Mike Conley, but they had a power forward that was like an undersized power forward at 6'6". And um, they ran four around one and they put Odin in the middle. And, you know, if you double teamed them, they had, you know, Daquan Cook, they had really good shooting around him. And, I, you know, the whole game was that Al Horford was going to guard Odin. And I think maybe in the the game that Ohio State won to get to the national championship game, like Odin sat most of the game in with foul trouble. And there was a huge outcry publicly that the officials were not letting Greg Odin play. And people want to see Greg Odin play. He's going to be the first player taken in the draft. And this is the NCAA tournament. You got this kid sitting on the bench with fouls. And I knew that they were going to let this guy play. And this one shooter, we had to do a lot of switching and a lot of different things on the perimeter. And it speaks to Joe Kim Noah's greatness here. So I was, I, I, this was the night before the game. So we went through practice and shoot around that I'm watching film and I'm watching film and I'm saying, geez, okay. Do we have the right matchups here? Right. And I'm like, listen, Horford is the best guy to probably guard and switch with Ohio state's perimeter guys. And I said, you know what? He's probably better at that, but we got to play Odin one-on-one in the post because of the three point line. And I thought like whoever was going to play Odin was going to be on an island. And obviously Al was a big, strong physical guy. Not to say that Joe was weak, but he was more of a wiry, you know, pogo stick runner jumper. Mm -hmm. And we were at a team meeting that night and I walked in there and I decided to switch the matchup. Joe looked at Al and Al looked at Joe like, what are we doing? And I'm like, okay, this is not good. (laughs) So I just said to him, like, listen, Here's why we got to do it. I said, this is the reason we have to do it. And I said, Joe, you're going to be in foul trouble tomorrow night. Do the best job you can and just hang in there on him. Okay. I said, if we need to trap, we will. But I just need you to deal with him one-on-one because we got to stop the three-point line. If he gets 25 or 30, so be it. But we can't have him getting 25 or 30 and then making, you know, 10, 11, three-point shots. That's how we're going to lose. He's not going to be able to beat us by himself. And sure enough, Joe just took it on. Joe was in foul trouble the whole game. And here's a guy that was going to be the number one player taken in the draft last year. He's in the NCAA tournament. He was the MVP of the final four the year before. And this guy totally sacrificed for the team and sat on the bench. And Maurice Spates came off the bench and gave us some really good minutes. And we got some good minutes from some other guys. But like that was like hard because Odin was really starting to take over. And I thought we were going to have to start trapping the post. And we were able to kind of hang in there and get through it. But um, you know, Joe's Joe's sacrifice and it, and Al obviously had a great game because uh, he was obviously able to play a lot. And Joe was really on the bench for most of the game. Uh, I don't remember much because I remember being on the bench a lot. <laughs> uh, but I just remember, you know, it was just a dominating performance. Horphy was huge. You know, Horphy played great. Bruski was just. You know, it just uh, to me, it was just the beauty. You can look back on it and say, you know what, this was it's it was this was far more than this was a real team. You know, there was not we had the luxury of everybody was saying, like, oh, he's going to be the top pick. And I didn't even play. I didn't even play that much in that game. 
and we, we were still we still dominated like lee humphrey like come on man it was mm-hmm. just it was you know c rich off the bench most speezy it was just walter hodge squad was just we had we just had a bunch of dogs like walter hodge the heart of a you know eight foot giant like the guy was just a a dog the first game against Ohio State, Greg was obviously coming back and getting back healthy. So we knew, I think, that championship going into the championship, all right, he's healthy, like he's in shape, like, you know, we're going to have to rock it. And I think he got Al, Joe, and Searich all in foul trouble. Like, I think he had like 26 points and 12 rebounds that game. I don't if I can recall. He was like an absolute monster. But I think for me, the X factor that game was, was Chris, you know, Chris Richards. Like, you know, he came in and, you know, warmed down, you know, got putbacks you know, was banging them. You know, Chris is the big body. So I think Chris really warmed down and, and, and stepped up big when Joe King was in foul trouble and, and Horf was in foul trouble during that game. Oh, we knew Greg Oden couldn't beat us because what is he going to do? He, he had to go against our three bigs, and then if nobody else scored, they weren't going to beat us. The firepower we had, we couldn't get – one guy couldn't beat us. So we knew if – they threw the ball in and he scored. Okay, well, nobody else is going to score. So I think me, Lee, and Torian, we took it personal. We were like, we're going to guard these guys. And if, if he gets his, if Mike Conley, um, Ron Lewis, and Daquan Cook, they get nothing, they can't beat us. And that's what happened. 84-75, 12 seconds left in the national championship. The ball comes into Horford. Hey, this Horford is over. Drives around Enjoy Odin. Enjoy it, Nick. Oh, my. Horford's going to dribble the ball out. Final seconds, Horford throws it a mile high into the sky. The horn sounds, the game is over. They've done it, they've done it, they've done it. They've won it, they've won it, they've won it. Back-to-back national championships. Oh my, Florida has beaten Ohio State again, sweeping through the Buckeyes as the streamers come from the ceiling here in Atlanta. The Gators have won it 84-75. to back-to-back national championships in basketball. What a 12-month period for this university. Three national championships. How oh my! As the clock expired, Horford had the ball and wanted to bring the celebration full circle, running to the same spot Green did the year before, doing the same dance, and firing the ball straight up in the air. Though you might assume Torian had a hand in it, he insists he was not involved in planning the tribute. I had something planned with Mo Spates. You know, we were going to do the little young jock dance. <laughs> I think you see me doing it. You see me doing it. I look for Mo Spates and you see me doing it. So uh, we had that plan. And um, But other than that, you know, Hor- I knew Horf Hor- had it. I knew he was going to run out. So I, was just, I was like, where's Mo Spates at? So we can go ahead and do this dance. <laughs> <laughs> As the players rejoiced on the court, Gator Nation roared in approval, even getting in a final dig at the Buckeyes to remind them of another recent win on the biggest stage. The Gators were also thrilled to welcome a former staff member to the party. As recently departed assistant coach Anthony Grant had been following their journey since the Sweet 16 and had the chance to experience this crowning achievement for many of the very players he recruited before leaving the year prior. So I I flew in to watch them against Butler, you know, and, uh, you know, obviously hadn't been around them, you know, that whole season. So, uh, Went over to the hotel and, and Billy let me come in and, and sit in on a meeting. It was great just to just to see everybody. So I watched that game and then um and 
then we, my wife and I, we went, we went to the uh, Final Four, and I got a chance to to be there in the stands and and witness it in Atlanta. And you know, Billy was kind enough to let me inside the ropes after they cut down, you know, after they won it in the championship game. So that was that was a great experience. We was looking for him, like he was like we brought him in the ropes to celebrate with us because you know he's a part of it still, right? He was just part of the family still, even though he was at VCU. It wasn't always easy, but the mission was complete, and the Gators did exactly what they set out to do, becoming the first team to repeat since Duke in 91 and 92. The emotions that came with that accomplishment were tough for some to process. Uh, it was different. It was, it was, man, like a relief. Like, we did it. Like, we achieved the unachievable. Like, we did it. We did something nobody hadn't did in a long time. And wow, it was worth it. Like it's worth all the all the going in the gym, late night gym um, workouts, just uh, coming back to school for another year, just being able to be with my guys one more time, and we're at the top of the mountain again. It's hard to describe because I mean the first one is more just kind of joy, amazement, awe. The second one is a bit of relief, but still it's kind of more that stamp of validation, like wow, we just kind of solidified ourselves in NCAA basketball history. And I think you it, it, you feel even a stronger camaraderie because you've done something that, that hardly anyone has ever done before. Um, so I remember thinking about that quite a bit. But then I also think about, you know, you know hey, we're moving on. I'm not going to be playing with the guys anymore. Um, we had so much fun. What's the future going to look like? <laughs> going back-to-back is remarkable in any sport. And as Athletic Director Jeremy Foley points out, you don't have to go too far to find examples of where it didn't follow the script. I mean, incredibly difficult. You know, I saw it happen in um, 2009 here in football. You know, those expectations get very, very heavy. And when, you know, we lost the game or didn't play well or whatever have you, it's just the incredible pressure that was placed on these guys. Read the Sports Illustrated article after we won the whole thing, beat Ohio State in, in Atlanta. And he talked about that. The players talked about it. It became no fun. It, the pressure became no fun. The season became no fun. And Billy had to fight that the whole year because the, the pressure was incredible. I think that as soon as we, you know, I think we won the SEC that year. You know, once we got in the tournament, the pressure was off. And I think those guys had an incredible tournament because now they just had to go play basketball for, you know, six more games. And um, but during the season, I remember it was hard. I mean, that's not a complaint. That's not a woe is me. You know, pressure, you know, sometimes busts a pipe. Sometimes pressure makes diamonds. Uh, ultimately, they made a diamond there. But it came close a couple of times to, um, to to breaking the team. And it was an incredible battle for Billy to keep them motivated. It probably was one of Billy's best coaching jobs. And people you see, of course, he was one of his best. He had three first round draft picks. Now, you know, he had incredible talent. But trying to make that all mesh make them fight through the barriers, make them fight through the pressures they were feeling. Uh, he and Billy and his staff did an incredible job with that. The beauty of that was in year one, unranked to 17-0, and 0, to number one, to win the championship, to go through all the celebrations all through the summer, to come in ranked number one, and to virtually have no letdowns and go out and win it again as number one. It's truly remarkable. Uh, that, what, 18-month period, really, from, you know, like October of the at one year through to April or so of the following year. It was unbelievable. Man, yeah, the tournament's hard to win, but um, I feel like we won two years just because we, we knew each other, we stuck together, and we never wavered. We, we always knew, no matter what was going on, 
We could be down, we could be up. We weren't down too many times. We came out kicking butt. We just knew if teams made a run, okay, they made a run. Now it's our turn. We're going to make a run. It's going to be over. A little bit of everything, excitement, relief, um, just joy, man. It was like we knew we could do it, but just the fact that we did it and we knew, like, at the end of the day, like, we knew we were happy that we won and we were happy that it was like, all right, now is the next, like, it's the next uh, stage. Like, we were excited to actually, you know, be going, declaring for the NBA draft, you know? We had a blast and we had a mission and we had a purpose and we were 19 or 20 years old and... It was enjoyment, but it was about, like, Coach Donovan always talk about your PhD. And he's not talking about PhDs. He wasn't talking about schoolwork. That's what he was talking about. P standing for poor. H was hungry. And and D was driven. It's crazy, right? Like, 20 years later, I, I still remember. Yeah. Your PhD, poor, hungry, driven. So after we won the second one, even though the coach did a good job at the beginning of the season, you know, playing everything down, I think that once we got in the tournament, we were getting everybody's best shot. And they were like hard-fought games. Each game of the tournament was going on. And um, once we won against Ohio State and that clock hit zero, like it was happiness, but like it was relief. You know, like it was like one of those things that it was like, man, like we didn't realize. At least I didn't realize how probably stressed I was in in a way. Um, even though that you know we were having fun, we were enjoying it, like everything was great. That that expectation was there of winning, you know, winning that championship. So once we won, it was like relief, and you know, obviously a lot of happiness. You know, all of us coming together, and you know, I remember as soon as we got back to the hotel, um, you know, coach, you know, called Joaquin, called Corey, called Torian, the four of us. And he said, listen, you know, I love you guys. You guys have been great. I think if this is the right time for you guys to go. I think Corey or myself, I think jokingly said to coach, like, Hey, you, you don't want to do one more year. Like, <laughs> I think that this is like that, that definitely, you know, weighing on coach because, you know, he knew the risk that, that we were taking. And at the time we didn't, I, at least I didn't realize, you know, how big of a risk, you know, leaving, you know, a lot of money potentially in, in an MBA and, and coming back to college. I think the coach kind of, you know, he saw all that. He knew that we've done a lot of great things and that, you know, that this, you know, this was tough, but that this was the right thing for us to do. You know, he didn't try to hold us back. So like he just sat us down and he was like, listen, you know, I appreciate you guys. You guys have been great. And, um, and I do believe that, you know, this, this is the right time for you guys to go and, and, and go be successful pros. So, um, uh, you know, coach throughout the whole time, you know, very supportive, uh, you know, really looking out, you know, for us having our best interest at heart. Well, it was funny because I said to Al, because after the thing was over with, I said, you want to try to do this three times? And he was like, come on, coach. He said, can we just enjoy this? You know, <laughs> um, you know what? They had sacrificed so much. They uh, came back for each other. Uh, they came back for, I think, the love of Florida, how much they enjoyed playing with one another. And they accomplished what they needed to accomplish. They they, they did it, you know, unranked. They did it number one in the country. And I, I just didn't I, – I, I thought they needed to go. I knew they were – I knew the three of them were all going to be lottery picks. And I just thought that, you know, the time was right for them to go. Now, if they would have said to me they didn't want to, they felt like they needed to stay, I mean, I, I wasn't going to kick them out the door. But I just told them that I think that they needed to go and that this was the right time for them to go. And I would have supported them if they left after the first national championship. You know, I just threw it out to them 
that, and I think they love playing with each other. I don't think that they were ready to go be pros. And I think, like I said earlier, I think that their, their parents had a lot to do with giving them an understanding of what professional life was like. While decisions about the next step happened remarkably quickly, there was still a party waiting to be had back in Gainesville. Or at least, that's what the players thought. A, a funny one was after we won the second national championship, we came back and it was like we, we, we ended up... <laughs> Uh, we ended up like we ended up coming back to school and after the first championship they had done like a huge a lot of people were waiting for us at the you know at the airport and stuff Mm -hmm. so we thought it would be similar right Mm -hmm. so we were all excited we're all we're all turned up man. like we had just won a championship and uh you know we're, we're we're ready to come and celebrate and we get to the airport there's like the second time and there's there's nobody at the airport so you know we're excited we're all turned up like our mindset was like yo, we're ready to celebrate with the whole campus you know like where's everybody at and we get to the campus and we end up taking Torian's car we're blasting the music we're so excited we get that we get back to campus it's like everybody's like going to class and nobody gives a shit (laughs) and it was just like it was funny, man. It was funny. We were all like, well, I guess I guess they don't really care that much. Like it, we thought we <laughs> <laughs> So, I, we ended up celebrating enough and it was it was perfect. But it was just funny how right after the second one, we didn't get that crazy reception that we were that we were expecting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so actually we talk about that sometimes and we we laugh about it like, yo, we were in the car like maybe we got to humble ourselves a little bit, you know. <laughs> Although most expected the O4s were headed to the NBA, they didn't officially announce their intentions until a few days later, convening for a momentous yet somber press conference on the Thursday following their Monday triumph. Well, for me, this is, um, you know, I'm happy and I'm sad. Um, happy because I've never seen a, a group of kids grow uh, the way these guys have grown and sad that I'm not going to have a chance to coach them anymore. Um, and having a chance to meet with them a little bit and before these guys having a chance to meet with their families, they've made a decision to forego their senior years and, and enter the NBA draft. And um, I do not expect any of them back here next year. Um, their commitment, their focus is trying to further their careers in the game of basketball and I know there'll be a lot of talk about, you know, leaving options open. But the one thing I've always respected about the four of these guys is what, when they put their mind to something, um, they're usually very, very successful at doing it. So right now, um, the way I'm viewing this is um, Monday night in Atlanta was the last time I had a chance to coach these four guys. I mean, I feel like the last three years have been a uh an unbelievable experience. Um, I feel like freshman year, just not being able to play was really humbling. And then last year, um, winning a national championship and going through not having any expectations to to having all the expectations in the world, I feel like, like it's just been unbelievable. And then coming back to school and Really, I feel like it's it's more than like what we did was more than just basketball. Like we just we followed our hearts. We didn't listen to all the 
what people had to say. We didn't listen to the expectations. And I mean, I'm just so happy to have met guys like this. And I mean, I think that this is something that we'll, we'll remember for the rest of our lives. And um, I mean, I just, I'm just so happy right now to, to be in this situation with these guys. And I think that this is something we'll never forget. And um, yeah, that's about it. Um, I'm just happy to be able to go through this with these three guys up here with me. Um, I feel like it's been the best three years of our lives um, up to this point. And we learned so much from each other and from coach and our teammates. It just feels good now, you know, we're able to go separate ways, but we're always going to be together. And I'm just happy, and that's all I can say, really. Uh, I'm happy to be in this situation with these guys. You know, these are, these are my best friends, um, along with the other teammates on our team. Um, we've had a great experience. We had a great run. Um, we love playing with each other, and I'm, I'm just excited to share this moment with them. Um, <clears throat> very, very happy to be, uh, been able to play with these guys, uh, coach, uh, all my teammates. Uh, it's been a great experience and uh, nothing, I'll, uh, I'll, I won't trade it for anything. Uh, <laughs> we didn't even have no discussion about coming back. <laughs> I, think, I think coach just called and said, we're going we're gonna to have our press conference this day. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> It was kind of like uh, coach. Coach told us we're gonna have a press conference this this day, and to be honest, that was the hard one of the hardest things to do was have that press conference. I think you see if you watch, if people go back and watch it, I think a couple of us had some tears coming down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, just I remember sitting in the facility before we went to the press conference. We were just sitting there, and you could tell like it was over, like like it was time. I think it's just like you know, just knowing that you know, a really special time that, that the, the beautiful part about it was the, the gratitude, right? The gratitude and it, the really the gratitude of knowing that we had something really special as a team uh, and that we did something really unique and that, you know, we didn't even like, we lived in the dorm, man. Like we didn't, we didn't, we lived in the dorm all three years. Like we didn't care. Like we, it was really, everything was, it was real. Like we didn't. And, um, we just knew it was coming to an end. Like, even though, uh, you know, we were going pro, it was, um, you know, it was, uh, we knew that everything would be different. You know, we, we, we would become professionals. We, we waited a year, an extra year to, you know, because we knew that we had a special group. So, I mean, to me, it's like what I remember from, I don't remember the questions. I don't remember any of that. I just remember Al breaking down being, uh, it was really hard for him. And I remember, I remember Papa Shy, man. I remember Papa Shy, you know, just walking in and just seeing him, one of the assistants, and you know, just everybody got, you know, he he pulled up, and it was just such a special soul, you know, somebody who brought so much joy and into the practice, into the into the work, into the everyday, you know, and to know that this would be our last time just being around each other. I think one of the things that really, really stood out to me and kind of epitomizes, you know, who Billy Donovan is, what the University of Florida is, you know, what he built 
and what the culture is here is that I don't know if you were there the day those four guys said they were going out and they had to go out. They all could have come back. And I don't think people even remember that, but they'd been here. I mean, they had to go. I mean, the NBA was calling incredible, you know, financial um, resources calling. Um, but if you were at that press conference that day, it was not a celebration. And these guys have probably all their life dreamt about the NBA dream. But at that moment, that day, they were incredibly sad. They did not want to leave. It was a very emotional press conference. And I can remember tears being choked back, you know, words being hard to, to come by. I'm talking about on the part of the players, on the part of Billy, because, um, you know, this is, this is, this was something really, really special. And I think that says a lot about them. Again, the fact that those talented players even came back in the first place, that's, you're not going to see that ever again, in my opinion. And yet the day when they had to leave, you know, I think if deep down inside, if they could have had the best of all worlds, they would have stayed. They loved the University of Florida. They loved playing for Billy. In the 2007 NBA draft, the Gators had an incredible five players taken, with Horford going third to Atlanta, Brewer off the board seventh to the Timberwolves, Noah heading to Chicago at number nine, Chris Richard joining Brewer in Minnesota at 41, and Torian Green shipping out to Portland at 52. Whether it's athletes going their separate ways or high school friends dispersing for college, it's common to hear people say they'll always have a bond and never forget each other, but those can often be empty words. Having said that, it shouldn't come as a surprise that for this group, the connections remain strong nearly 15 years later. Yeah, it's just, it's it's interesting, you know, because, you know, obviously it's a brotherhood that, you know, it, it, even though we don't talk, every day it's like you can't deny it you know so we have a we have a connection that we have forever like i want to see rich see rich came with me to to africa hmm. i mean that was like one of i mean i don't talk to see rich every day but see rich is my brother forever like i know that if uh if if i'm if i need help like i know he'll be there for me you know mm-hmm. I, I feel that way about a lot of guys but you know chris was somebody who would have probably started you know, on almost every team in the country and, you know, play, came off the bench and worked his ass off and just never complained. And then the final game, you know, I got in foul trouble and he was big, like real big. So it's just like, for it's you know, it's like, you know, I mean, first of all, you know, okay, well, he, that says it all right there. He came, you know, he spent some time with my grandfather in Africa, you know, four years ago. We built, We did a camp over there. Uh, I just can't, we come back for coach Donovan's court. It's like, I talked to Humpty, like he's a commentator now. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I don't, and just, you know, one of his boys is called Noah. It's like, it's crazy. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the, it's deep, you know? Yeah. And then I think with, with Horphy and Corey, it was, you know, there was definitely a brotherhood, but it was also like, there's been a lot of like competition there too, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But we're we're all we're all tight, man. Whenever we can, you know, we, we we try to you know stay stay in touch and check up on each other and see how the families are going and stuff. I I think Joe's right. I mean, unfortunately, the way that I mean, it's just the way life goes. I mean, everyone uh, has has their families, they have their jobs. Guys are playing all over the world. Um, it's really difficult to get together and see each other in person. Um, but when we do like last year, when coach Donovan had his court, um, uh, announcement, I mean, it was great to spend time with the guys, uh, to go grab a drink after the game, uh, to talk about old stories and just, and you know, that you've got each other's back. 
like um, that because we've gone through all that we have playing wise, you know, if we ever needed anything or uh, needed a friend or someone to call on, you know, I think everyone would, has got each other's back. Um, I mean, I'll text with Al some and he hits me back right away. Uh, it was great to reconnect with Brett Swanson some. Um, I think that's something that, that we'll always have. And it would be great if we all lived in the same place so we could see each other like in college. But, you know, that's just how life goes. Uh, we're still really close. Like, we still talk every so often. Like, I just talked to Al the other day. I talked to Joe. Um, I actually talked to Torian. <laughs> we were FaceTiming. So we still talk. Like, that's still my guys. Like, if they can call me and say I need some right now, and I would, I would drive if I had to and go, and go get some. That's my guys. One recent opportunity many of them had to come together was for the official renaming of the court at the O'Connell Center for Billy Donovan, which came nearly five years after the winningest coach in school history chose to pursue his NBA dreams and is currently the head coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Given his incredible popularity and player-first approach, almost all the big names congregated in Gainesville to honor their coach on Valentine's Day weekend. Oh, I mean, I was actually really, really taken back by it all. Um... The thing that was amazing is even the guys that couldn't get there, you know, like I know Mike Miller, some of the college coaches, Mike's coaching in college now, but he put a video out and sent me a video. You know, John Pelfrey did a video and sent it to me. Um, the stuff that these guys did, even the ones that couldn't make it, you know, was was so kind. And I was shocked and blown away because I didn't know who all was going to be there. But when I walked into the room and I saw all these guys and you think about 19 years and like the first group I coached, you know, at Florida, these guys all got gray hair and they're in their 40s now. And, you know, it's just like it's unbelievable how how much time goes by and how quick it goes by. But to see all those guys come back, you know, see Brad Beal, to see Joe Kim, you know, even the Dan Williams, Mike McFarland and Mark Tominski my first year, you know, to see Ronnie King and, you know, guys, guys that maybe people didn't even know about, you know, Pat O'Connor. Like uh, these were these were guys that were great guys that maybe, you know, didn't play in the NBA or play overseas or have this illustrious career. But like even guys that were role players that came back to see them, um, you know, the amount of guys that showed up was just just incredible. And then, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith came back. A lot of the NBA guys came back. Maurice Spates was there. Uh, Patrick came back. You know, it was just I really, really appreciated uh, those guys, to your point, like making the effort to even come and be part of that. The legacy of Billy's back-to-back title teams is undeniable at Florida, no doubt. But are they the greatest college basketball team, and specifically starting five of all time? Oh, for sure. I I feel like we don't get enough credit. (laughs) Like, I seen something the other day, and they were ranking, like, the top college teams, and we were ranked, like, way outside the like top 20 somewhere like it was i was like wow like i was like you can put any of those teams up against but i don't think they could beat us so yeah i feel like um for sure we're definitely one of the top teams to ever play especially the starting yeah our whole team our starting five was great our whole team was great well i'm in that camp hey because i'm prejudiced number one but number two <laughs> it's billy and i've talked about it often and billy 100 percent feels that way he thinks maybe one of the best teams goes back to what i said earlier incredible unselfishness they meshed that way because they didn't care who got the points, who got the ball, who got the touches. They just wanted to win. They liked each other. You know, again, they all came back mm-hmm. and then they all left at the same time because they couldn't, they were that close. And so, um, you know, you have that type of closeness, that type of chemistry. Um, Billy used to tell me the most difficult part of his job was to try to manufacture 
chemistry in the locker room. You know, I've seen incredibly uh, talented teams that had no chemistry and they're, and they're not they're not as successful as everybody wants them to be because they didn't have it. You know, this team had it. As I said, they cared about each other. They loved each other. They they were incredibly selfless. It's That was a recipe for success. And, but so just, you know, obviously a great, great team with a bunch of great players. But as a team, I don't think I've ever seen any better. We hope you've enjoyed MBK Goes B2B. And if you're looking for other stories about championship teams and recent Gator lore, be sure to listen to our previous episodes about the back-to-back softball champions, the gymnastics three-peat, and baseball's first College World Series title run. Also, we encourage you to subscribe so you don't miss our upcoming miniseries on the 2006 and 2008 football national championships. Until then, I'm Adam Schick giving a special thanks to production assistant Eli Rosen and to all of you for tuning in to this latest installment of Gator Tales, Gator Greats.